Well, the first question I want to ask you today as we uh, continue in our series on this book of, uh, called Galatians is what determines the direction of your life? What kind of sets the course for where you're going? Is it a book that maybe you have read? Is it someone that you listen to? Is it a motivational speaker? I was thinking about my GPS. I drove to Indianapolis and back this week for some training, and I was thinking how easy it is to use a GPS. If I know where I'm going, the GPS knows where I'm currently at, I put in uh, the address, and it will tell me where to go. It will tell me if I need to turn right. It will tell me if I need to turn left, and if you're like me, I often miss those turns anyways, even though it's telling me when to turn and where to go. Uh, I miss it. And then the best part about it is it tells you this, says this certain phrase, right? And it says recalculating. And the great thing is, is it doesn't matter how many times you miss a turn, it will continue to recalculate you, right? I've never missed so many turns that it just shuts off, all right? And it basically says you're hopeless, you know, good luck, right? That doesn't happen. It will always try and get me back to where I'm, I'm headed. But the question we have to kind of wrestle with is, is what is telling you where you're headed? What's giving you the direction for your life? What is your guide? Uh, I'm, I'm the PTA president at my, my son's school, McNair Elementary, and for the last three years, uh, we've been working to raise funds for a playground. I shared about this about five months ago when we went to put it up the first time and it didn't work. Well, we finally got together on Saturday morning and I woke up Saturday morning. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you, you kind of wake up from the, a, a deep sleep and you're just overwhelmed with a thought. And the thought I had was, I don't know where the guide is to put together the playground, right? And that's kind of a scary feeling. And so I immediately jump out of bed. I'm looking everywhere I need to look. I, I, I text my principal and I'm like, I gave you the instructions, right, on how to put together the playground. She's like, no, I don't, I don't have them. And, and so I show up and I have these iron workers there ready to help me. And then this guy comes up from Arkansas to, to supervise the install. And he gets out of his truck and I'm like, hey, Larry, how's it going? How's it going? I don't have the instructions on how to do this. And he says, what? And this was his words. He said, well, we cannot put it together without the guide. And I'm thinking, well, uh, I don't know what we're going to do, Larry. And I said, it's 2018. These instructions have to be online somewhere, right? Someone has to have access to these. And he goes, well, it's a Saturday. And I'm not sure who's going to get those to us. And I was like, come on, Larry, we've got to figure something out. I said, the guy who sold it to me, does he have access to them? Yeah, he does. But again, it's Saturday. And then he says this. He goes, well, I have access to them. <laughs> All right, Larry. Uh, could you pull those up uh, so we could uh, put this playground together? But I just remember those words. We cannot do it without the guide, right? And, and each one of us is looking for someone or something to give us direction in our life, to tell us how we're supposed to do this thing called life, how we're supposed to be in relationships, how we're supposed to be a, a husband or a wife if you're married or if you have children or how you run your business, how we deal with conflict, right? We need a guide and, and around here, now, we, we do believe that that is the scriptures, the, the Bible sets us on our course. And so a lot of times when you come here, we'll, we'll speak about certain topical things. We'll, we'll cover different issues. We, we talked about dealing with conflict, but, but every once in a while, we, we just open the, the Bible and we take one book of the Bible and we just slowly go through it, right? Because I think for many of us, we, we don't really have a lot of knowledge of the Bible. Right? Maybe your knowledge mostly comes from hearing me speak on a, a Sunday, and so it might be a little limited. And so I thought, okay, well, we want to go directly to it and, and look at it. 
and, and break it down and see what God may be saying to each one of us through it. And so we're looking at this book called Galatians, written by a guy named Paul. I'll talk more about him in a few moments. This is probably the last week I'm really going to be able to give kind of a recap as we continue. It, it would be a whole sermon just to give a recap. And so uh, we, we have a YouTube channel. If you ever want to go back and watch those, you can find that out on our, in the bulletin. Um, but just a really, really quick recap. Paul, who writes this, comes from a really difficult past. He lived a life as a Jew, but he was actually persecuting and killing those who were following Jesus. He was actually trying to wipe out the church. But he has this encounter with with God. He has this encounter with Jesus, and it changes his life so much so that he begins to follow Jesus. And then he helps other people follow Jesus, and he plants churches, and then he writes back to these churches. And so the letter that we're reading is a letter that was written to a group of churches in what's modern-day Turkey. And we looked in the the first couple weeks where where he kind of lays some stuff out. And he basically says, look, all of us are broken people. All of us have gone against what God wants for us. But there's good news. And the good news is that Jesus has come and he has made a way for us to be saved, to be rescued, to be forgiven. And this is the gospel. It's this good news. And Paul says, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But the problem was there was this group of people who were coming alongside Jesus afterwards saying, well, Jesus is great and we believe in Jesus, but he's just not quite enough. We need to add some stuff to Jesus. And so we looked at a couple things that happened. We think Jesus is great, but then we think, well, we need to add something to that so Jesus, so God will be pleased with us. So Jesus is good, but if we add the Bible to it and reading it every day as a checklist... If I'm here on Sundays, if I volunteer, if I, if I give some finances, if I, if I dedicate myself to something, then, then obviously then God will really be pleased. And, and what, what Paul says is that's just a perversion of the gospel, of the good news, that you've really changed it, that it's no longer the gospel at all, that you've changed it from being Jesus plus nothing to Jesus plus you fill in the blank. Or the other thing that happens is we, we begin to have a license We have this license where we think, well, if God's going to forgive me, then I'll just do whatever I want. But in doing that, we don't really find freedom. We're missing out on what God wants for us. And in both of these things, specifically the first one, maybe you've done this. Maybe something difficult has happened in your life and you begin to wonder, what did I do to make God mad? Did I not read my Bible enough? Is it because I missed two Sundays in a row? God, are you punishing me? And we begin to see God as this person in the sky who is just waiting to hand out bad news to us. And we begin to wonder, is that simply because I didn't do what I was supposed to? And so we've lost the truth of the gospel and the good news when we do that. We we are misunderstanding who God is. And then last week, we see that, that Paul, who has this crazy life, has this but God moment, right? But God intervenes in his generosity and his kindness and changes his life. And his story is now his opportunity to have impact. And Joey, we had Joey uh, last week perform and share his story. I would encourage you to go back and watch that from last week if you missed it. But just this idea that the ministry that comes out of the difficult things that have happened in our life, that the kingdom, the good news of God, the gospel goes with us everywhere that we go. In a board meeting, in your business office, in a classroom, in the hospital, wherever you are, God is with you. And the good news is that people's lives begin to change when they see that. So Paul goes into these areas and like, look, we know who Paul was. 
we know what Paul's past looked like, but we know that God is doing something and people begin to praise God because of it. They're not praising God because Paul is great. They're, they're praising God because God is great. And they're seeing this reflected in Paul's life. And so we see for Paul that there's this outcome, that the guy that he is going by is the gospel. And the only thing it seems like Paul cares about is people knowing that, is people becoming aware of the gospel, the end game. What does what a win look like for, for Paul? And for many of us, I'm worried that we're going to get to the end of our lives and we'll look back and think, man, what did I do with my life? What, what was the mission of my life? What was the purpose of my life? I'm, I'm worried that we won't know. I, I coach my son's baseball team. Uh, he's seven, and we started Pitching Machine this year, and I was a little nervous. Uh, we went from coach pitch to Pitching Machine, and I saw our first practice with a Pitching Machine. I thought, this is going to be a long year. Uh, we, won, we won our first two games, and I was like, all right, all right, we're doing pretty good. And then we had another game. And uh, let's just say we played a team that was coached by a semi-pro uh, baseball player. And uh, man, these boys had it all together and they killed us, killed us. But after the game, this little boy comes up to me and he goes, coach, did we win? I'm like, um, no, we did not win, uh, but that's all right. And he just goes and he hives, he gives his high fives. But it was interesting to me in, in the moment, it was just about playing the game, right? And that's great. That is great when it's Little League Baseball. It's great to, after the game, not know if you won or lost. I actually think that's good, uh, that they're just enjoying it. But in life, if each day we're kind of just like, well, it was another day. I'm not really sure what I'm doing with my life. I'm not sure that's so funny. I'm worried that we won't understand, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, and I know not everyone in here is, but if you are a follower of Jesus, there is a clear call on your life that the kingdom of God would go with you, that you would live out the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus. And this is what Paul is pointing us to. Okay, uh, Galatians 2, 1 through 10. I'm gonna read it and then I'll go back and, and we'll pull out a few things. If you don't own a Bible, there's a red Bible around you. Please take that. That's our gift to you. You can have that. Uh, Galatians 2, 1 through 10. It'll be on the screen, and that page number is for that red Bible, just to help. Galatians 2, verse 1, it says this. 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me 
and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, when they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All right, so we're going to just jump back. So verse 1 through 3, we see right here that Paul's now coming back 14 years later. Uh, Paul is saying, I've been doing this for a long time. He has given his life now to preaching the gospel to a certain group of people. It was to the group of people who were not the religious people we would have seen in in the days of Jesus. They weren't the Jews. They were a different group of people. And we see, we see that this was the mission that Paul was on, to let the Gentiles, those who maybe who had been far from God, know that God was near to them. So just really quickly, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you know who that might be? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about maybe God has put you in a very specific place for a very specific reason to tell others about the good news of Jesus? Not just with words, not to condemn, not to judge, but to to speak hope into someone's life? That maybe you've worked at the same place for 10 plus years, not by accident, that you have lived in the same neighborhood and you've had the same neighbors for a specific reason. Paul has said for 14 years, I've been doing the same thing. I've been telling those in a specific place, the good news of Jesus. I have a friend, his name's Lauren. He leads a ministry up in Chicago. It's a really difficult ministry that he's doing. It's not like the normal church. He's really just building relationships with people. And he's reached out to a, a, a refugee from Afghanistan and they've built a great relationship. And, and over the years, this has been over the, the last few years, he has become a follower of Jesus. Uh, Lauren was in this man's home the last couple of weeks, and when he walked in, there were 19 chairs in a circle in his living room. And Lauren began having this conversation with this uh, refugee from Afghanistan, and he said, Lauren, I have been put here for a reason, and I cannot wait until I have 19 of my fellow Afghans sitting in this circle learning about who Jesus is. He said, won't that be a huge church? This, this man begins to believe God has rescued him, that he's believing in the gospel. And he says, well, my response now, obviously, is to give back to those I'm in relationship with. The response is to pour into those people that I'm connected to. Who is that for you? If you are a follower of Jesus, who is that in your life? The interesting thing is Paul brings two people with him to this meeting. Two people. Two people whose lives have been changed by the gospel. One a Jew and one a Gentile. One one man who is Greek. And I have this feeling that he brings them back to say, hey, here's the power of the gospel that it changes lives. It's kind of convicting at times that maybe we wouldn't be able to do that. Could we do that? Would we be able to come and say, here's my friend who I have loved, who I've cared for, who believes in the gospel. And it's come through a relationship that I've had with him. Not through an agenda, not that a person is a project, but just through love, through being a good neighbor and living out the gospel. This is very tangible for Paul. And I hope 
that it will become very tangible to us, that we will see that the places that we have been put are on purpose. And then it gives us opportunity to make a difference. We see that Paul has these people who are coming behind him that, that are challenging what he's doing. Uh, if you've read the scriptures before, if maybe you've been in church, maybe you've heard this, this might be new to you. Uh, but in another letter he writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, it says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I don't know if you've ever heard this scripture before. This is a, a popular scripture when we talk about temptation. Uh, maybe you've heard this, that, that, that Paul has this thorn in his side. You may think you've got a thorn in your side as, as well. He says, three times I've pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. God, would you get rid of this thorn in my side? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is, a lot of people argue about what the thorn in the side is on this. Um, some think it's Paul's past that he just can't get over his past. Um, some think it's a, a struggle that he had. It was a temptation that he always gave into. Many people think it was a person or a group of people. That the thorn in his side were these Jewish people who were coming behind him saying, yeah, that was great what Paul said, but it's not enough. That that was the thorn in his side. That was the way he was being tormented. That he was going and he was trying to give good news to people and then he would leave and someone would come in after him and distort it. This is what Paul has asked God three times to take away. And God doesn't. He doesn't take it away. And then Paul says something really difficult. Really difficult. Did you see it? That he's going to boast gladly about his weaknesses. I'm not doing that often. I'm not looking at the insults. I'm not looking at my hardships. I'm not looking at persecution and thinking, oh, I'm so thankful for that. But what would happen if we got to a place in our lives where when those things come, we just rely on God? When things become difficult, we say, all right, this is an area where I'm weak. I don't know what to do. God, you have got to come through for me. Paul got to a point where he had nothing else. Nothing else. Where he believed, where he believed that God was enough. Uh, another guy that I've, I've met and interacted with lately who is from Africa, uh, who's uh, doing work in Africa, he says usually uh, American Christians pray for the Holy Spirit, but then don't know what to do with him. Right? So the Holy Spirit is our guide. He is the one who helps us. He is the Spirit of God that we ask for. But then we just do things on our own. He says we pray for the Holy Spirit because it's all we have. Because it's all we have. What if we got to this moment where we said, all right, God, you're all I have. I don't know what's next. I don't know how to get through this difficulty or this hardship. But God, I'm going to believe that you are with me and will see me through this, that you will come through. In my weakness, that's where we see God do things. Verse four, says this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. 
Paul is saying, look, they've realized that we're free. That we're not bound from anything anymore. That our freedom has come from Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says this to a group in Ephesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The gift of grace. This is not something we earn from God. It is what God gives to us. Because the moment we believe we can earn it, that our good things outweigh our bad, then it becomes about us. And we can boast. And Paul says, look, there is no boasting about us. It is all about what God has done. And so there's a couple of arguments that come up from this, and we'll probably talk about this almost every week. And the one is this idea, is really grace enough? This free gift of grace, like, can that really be true? Like, I love the idea, but I just feel like, man, I just, I just need to do more. I need to, I need to earn what God has given me. There's no freedom in that. If you're like me, I can't even come through with all the plans that I want for my own life. I let myself down too much. How in the world could I earn that from God? It is a free gift of grace. And what has happened for many of you is at some point you believed that grace really was enough. That grace has saved you and put you in right relationship with God. But at some point, you have believed that your works or your goodness can sustain you. That grace was good then, but you just don't know anymore if it is enough. And so what happens is the law becomes the most important thing. And this, is, this was the case uh, for Paul before he has his but God moment. That following the law is what put him in right standing with God. The law that says how to live life. So if you think the Ten Commandments, there were a lot more, but if you think the Ten Commandments, that if I could just follow the Ten Commandments, then God would obviously be pleased with us. But just let me say this. The law is really just a way of diagnosing our problems. Right? Because if you're like me, I fail to love my neighbor sometimes. There's moments where I don't love God with my whole heart, mind, and my strength. I fail. That there's these moments, what God has asked of me, I don't come through. And so what happens is when I know I don't, it's just diagnosing my need for God. But here's what doesn't happen. The same law that we're breaking can't save us. Uh, there's a young man named Deontay. I've talked about him often. Uh, I've been, uh, I befriended him about a year ago. He was just graduating from Hazelwood East. He didn't really have a support system. He was kind of couch surfing uh, wherever he could. And, and so I kind of took him in and we built a relationship. And uh, with the help of many of you, we, we were able to do some things for him. Uh, family of the church gave him a car and I taught him how to drive. And uh, through some connections, we got him a job at the Starbucks in Ferguson. He goes to school and he's doing really well. Uh, but his car often gives him uh, just a little bit of trouble. And so he called me one day and said, hey, here's what my car is doing and it doesn't work. You, you may not know me, but if you do know me, I don't know anything about cars, right? So he's telling me all these things. I'm like, okay, that's great. And I'm, I'm Googling everything that he's telling me. And I'm like, I don't know. Let, let's, let's take it to AutoZone. And so you take it to AutoZone and they have this tool, right? I don't know if you've ever done this. Uh, they'll plug it into your car and they run a diagnostic test, right? And what happens is they say, here's everything that's wrong with your car. Great, <laughs> Right? That, that's, that's great. You're going to diagnose the problem. 
can you fix it? No, 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 no. We just diagnose, right? This tool is unable to fix the car, but it'll tell you everything that's wrong with it. See, the same is true as we look at the law of God. It is our guide in how are we to live life. And it will diagnose when we have a problem. It'll show our need for God, but it is not the cure. It cannot save us. The only thing that can save us is the grace of God. And so when we believe the law can save us, when we think that we could be good enough to earn the love of God, but then we feel like we've disappointed him, I think this is when we avoid him. I think this is maybe when we quit attending a service on Sundays because we feel like we've disappointed God. This is when maybe we don't have relationships with other Christians where we can't be honest about how we're doing in life because we feel like we have disappointed God. So we avoid him. Can I just encourage you that that is the time when we realize we need God the most? When we run the diagnostic test on our hearts and we realize, man, I'm, I'm falling short in some areas. That's when we need this space with one another to learn and to grow, to be encouraged. This is when we need God more than any other time to understand that he can help us. And it's interesting there at the end, he says their attempt was to make us slaves, as Paul was saying. And here's what I know. You could become a slave to the law. You can be a slave to legalism and thinking you can earn God's favor. But we can also become a slave to sin. That we can become a slave from those things that are separating us from God. But freedom comes in knowing who Jesus is. Verse 5. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Paul's saying, look, I'm not going to compromise on this. I'm not going to give in. Verse 6. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. Paul's not being rude here. Paul's just saying, look, this is about Jesus and nobody else. That no one really adds to the message of Jesus because God does not look at our external appearance. And Paul's saying, look, I'm not either. I'm understanding the gospel and that's what I'm preaching. Verse seven, it says, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Just really quickly, Peter, who also is a follower of Jesus, he is ministering to a certain group of people. He's reaching back into the lives of the Jews. And it says that God is at work in that. But they also recognize that God was at work with Paul. Now, this is what's really important. The message wasn't changing. The message wasn't changing. The hope that was being brought was not changing. Context was changing. The, the way it was delivered was changing. The way Peter spoke to those who were Jewish was different than the way Paul spoke to those who were Gentiles. And so can I just encourage you? As you begin to believe that God has put you on mission to live out the kingdom to those around you, would you understand that we hold tightly to some things, right? We are close-fisted to the gospel, that it's by grace alone. We will never let go of that. 
The things that we hold open-handed is how we do it. Uh, the, the culture in which we do it. Uh, for us, uh, we are trying to, to build the kind of culture where anybody could walk into this space and be comfortable. That may not fit in some other places. Uh, that, that, that person who's preaching may need to be in a suit and a tie. Thank goodness that's not us uh, right, right now, right? Some of you may like that, but, but for me, someone who did not grow up in the church, the culture in which we will build here is going to be for a certain group of people. I will never open my fist on the gospel and the good news of Jesus. I will never change the message, but the, the context and the culture can change. I don't know if you know this, but one of the ways uh, uh, the church is reaching back into uh, certain places is they have these things called cowboy churches. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, they get together and listen to country music and and um, uh, they, uh, all their music sounds a certain way and they ride bulls together afterwards. Uh, I pray, honestly, I pray that my dad would get into a church like that. Right, my dad who doesn't attend church and there's some cowboy churches around where he is, that would be perfect for my dad. The, their good news, the gospel, I'm hoping and guessing isn't different than ours. But the way it's delivered the culture and context is going to look very, very different. So as you begin to interact with people, would you hold tightly to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, but just give freedom to people where they are and who they are? Don't try and make them fit into a certain form or mold that, that you have fit into, but hold tightly to the good news of, of Jesus. We see here, they say, look, we are blessing Peter who is doing it one way and we are blessing Paul who is doing it another way. Both are blessed and God is using both. Verse 10, we'll wrap up here. It says, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is very interesting to me. The leaders of the early church look at Paul and say, I know you're gonna kind of go do this different." It's going to look different than anything we have ever seen or ever done. You're reaching into a certain group of people, but can we just make a plea with you? No matter where you go or what you do, would you remember the poor? Would you care deeply for the least of these? And Paul says to the people he's writing to, look, I was eager to do that. I was eager to care for the poor. There's a reason that I believe that this is fundamental uh, that it's fundamental to those early church people who are telling this to Paul. And that is because remembering the poor and taking care of the poor is a constant theme throughout the Bible. This isn't new. Jesus doesn't show up and all of a sudden say, hey, remember the poor. It wasn't that all of a sudden after Jesus comes and lives his life that a group of people say, man, we should remember the poor. This is from the, the very beginning the theme, really, of the scriptures, if you were to dive deep into it, the theme of the scriptures is really to take care of the poor. And the reason I say that is the theme is because when, when Jesus comes, this is the life that Jesus lives. He is born into a poor family. He lives in the wrong community, comes from the wrong place. He has meals with the, the poor. He touches the poor. He cares for the poor. 
He actually, at the end of his ministry, says, look, your faith is going to be justified in how you treat the poor. That if you say you have faith and you say you believe in the gospel, then how you live that out is extremely important. He says, please, Paul, whatever you do, whatever you do, just remember the poor. And so I think the call is the same for us. And that looks very different for all of us. And it looks very different in different stages of our lives. But as I said already, there is a direct correlation with what we say we believe and how we live. The gospel, the good news of Jesus should impact us in such a way where we understand that we care for the least of these. So just really, really quickly, uh, there's a way that you can support a child really from around the, the world. There's a couple ways you can do that. Our denomination actually does that. Uh, we have a way of doing that. If you're interested, I'm just going to give you some letters, really. Uh, it's a website. Uh, if you want to take notes, if you want to write this down, I'll give you a second. Uh, it's cs.ncm.org. Uh, you can go on, you can look at where you might want to, uh, to sponsor a child. It's $30 a month. There's Compassion International, uh, there's World Vision, there's lots of people who are doing this. But this is a tangible way, and this is a great way to do this if you have small children, uh, to write letters back and forth, to learn about other places in our world. But this is a way to take care of the least of these, to remember the poor. Um, I'm John Hiltz, who is sitting right over here. On Thursdays, uh, he works with our homeless friends often. Uh, John is always looking for people who are willing and able to go down, whether it's to pass things out, maybe it's to work with shower to the people. There's lots of ways that you can begin to work with the poor. Uh, if you want me to connect you with John, you can talk to me afterwards. Uh, we would love for someone to take, we have a very small food pantry. Uh, we have people in here almost every week just getting a little bit of food. Maybe you want to be a part of that. And then a big project. And this is something that I want to throw out now because I don't want to wait. Uh, we, this winter, want to become a warming shelter. Uh, we tried to do that at the end last year, and it was just kind of too late in the game to get organized. But this year, when the temperature drops, we want to be ready. Uh, we want to be able to serve and to help those who are on the streets, who are cold. We want to give them a safe, warm place. I need someone to help with that. Maybe that's something that God would put on your heart. But no matter what we do, uh, no matter what we are a part of, the call that was put on Paul is also on us, that we would remember the poor. So let's recap just really quickly. Uh, we see that Paul is now being affirmed for the gospel he is preaching, and it is changing people's lives. He understands he has a clear call, just like you do, that he had a clear call to a certain group of people, just like you do. And that it is by grace alone that our lives are changed. And so if grace is what has saved us, it is grace that will sustain us. That the moments we feel like we are avoiding God, we have to hold on to grace once again. And it is this grace, the gospel, that it continues to encourage us to love the least of these. To care about the poor and not to forget them. Uh, Greg's going to come up and uh, lead us in our closing song uh, I would love for you to participate in some of the things we're doing this summer, uh, whether it's serving uh, a meal, whether it's uh, spreading the word for our soccer academy, uh, if it's uh, helping with cold water. We have all kinds of ways 
uh, for you to participate in what God is doing. Uh, it doesn't always take money. One of the best resources you have is your time. It is your time. And so we have to begin to ask, how are we investing our time? We see once again that Paul is investing his time in people, in people. Would you stand as I pray? And uh, we'll sing this song together. God, thank you for your goodness, uh, for your good news, uh, that there's absolutely nothing we could do to separate us from your love. And there's absolutely nothing we could do to earn it. God, I pray for my friends who are here today. Maybe this is the first time they've heard that, that this gift of forgiveness comes from you and all we have to do is to receive it, to believe it, and that puts us in right relationship with you. If there is anyone here, Lord, that is feeling that, God, I pray that you would just put it on their heart to accept it and to believe it and allow it to change them. And then for all of us, God, when we understand you have put us in a certain place for a certain purpose, we see that the people we rub shoulders with, whether it's where we shop or who we live next to or who we work with, that we have an opportunity to live out the gospel first with our lives and then with our words. Lord, would you help us to believe that? And then would you always help us to remember the poor? Uh, Not that we're better than them, God, but that we need each other, that we need one another. Would you help us as we take that mission on? I pray this all in Jesus' name.